another episode of the Art First Commerce Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Levy, and we are sponsored by Masters in Motion. Um, this week is with cinematographer Alex Dissenhoff, and we recorded this a while back. So similarly to the episode um, prior with uh, Salvatore Tatino, um, you know, we didn't really talk about the um, current state of affairs. There, we weren't in quarantine yet. It wasn't a big story. Um, I just bring that up so that... Uh, I don't know, in case us not talking about it in any way or shape is uh, a bit odd, given the severity of everything, that is the reason why. And um, speaking on that, just want to say that I'm glad that, um, you know, podcasts like this can be something for you to do while we all uh, do the right thing and wait it out. So uh, this week is with uh, cinematographer Alex Disanoff and... Um, Really enjoyed the conversation. Really interesting guy and a, a young guy to, to have had so much on his plate already. Um, some TV shows that he's done as of late that are notable. City on a Hill uh, on Showtime and uh, a couple episodes of Legion. And then I think most notably would be Watchmen on HBO. He was uh, a co-cinematographer on seven of those episodes. Or actually on all episodes. <clears throat> And um, or co cinematographer on seven, and then I think he was the sole cinematographer on one, and um, really was awesome to talk with him about that. I think that that show was one of the highlights of the past year, and um, now that it's uh, has been confirmed that it's not going to come back for another season, I do think that in terms of a singular season, I think it's 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 uh, close to perfect, and um, and what it and what it achieves in that time. And so we were able to talk about all of that, and. Um, what it's like to work for HBO and what it's like to work on on something like that. Especially Watchmen is an interesting one where it does have um, a backstory and uh, visuals from from different um, pieces of content that relate to that same story and how you how you deal with that. Do you pay attention to that? Do you let it influence you at all? And if so, how? So um, it was a really nice conversation to 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 talk about all of that and and overall just really enjoyed chatting with Alex. So. Um, like I said, we were meant, we are sponsored by Masters in Motion, which is a um, annual three-day filmmaking conference in Austin, Texas. Uh, happens every December. This coming December will be the tenth annual, and this year they are uh, planning on doing one in Philly as well. You can check shooteditlearn.com for more information and, of course, for updates on um, you know the potentiality of that of that happening given everything going on. But I'm sure um, they always have something up their sleeve. So. The, whatever ends up happening will be great and you can go to shooteditlearn.com to stay updated. So uh, thanks again for being here. This is Alex Dissenhoff. So how have you been? What, what have you been up to recently? How, how are things going at the moment? I'm good, thank you. Um, I, I'm actually down in Mexico right now in a place called Puebla. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting a, a show for Apple TV called The Mosquito Coast. It's based on a book that was written, I believe, in the late or the early '80s, made into a movie with Harrison Ford in the late '80s, um, and it's uh, now starring Justin Thoreau. Um, and it's a total kind of it goes back more towards the book than the movie did, but it's a bit of a reimagining of the whole thing. Um, Justin's uncle actually wrote the book, so oh wow. It's kind of this weird in the family thing, but um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I we started started prep on this six months ago. Uh, we shot in LA for quite a while, and now we're in Mexico until May. 
So, oh wow! Uh, all around Mexico. So yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a it's a traveling circus. That's a lot of on location shooting. It's only February. It's, yes, it's all location. There's no stage work at all. Um, it's nine episodes. Yeah. And um, it's a bit of a whirlwind. So, but it's fun. It's been great so far. So. It's that's fascinating to um, to think about the fact that there is a book and a movie, and that you're pulling more from the book than the movie. Do you think that that frees you up? in terms of the visual language you want to choose and you're not as locked into thinking about how, how, what the movie did in any way? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think the movie happened so long ago, you know, it's 30, 30 years or more, um, uh, that it really wasn't even a factor. Um, I yeah, watched the styles were so different. Curiosity's sake, but yeah, the style's so different now. Um, and honestly, the scripts are so different, the characters are so different the the story is totally its own it's it's really just was used as a jumping off point the story is its own story and so like all narrative projects that i think any of us do yeah we try to you know just take the script that's being given to us and and not worry about maybe what came before but what what is the story that i'm trying to tell now and and how do i interpret that visually how do i work with the director to to tell this story that's on the page that's you know, being given to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, it's great to hear about what you're up to now, I, now to, to, to yeah. kind of go back to the beginning, yeah. you know, uh, in terms of like prep and research, I kind of look over people's, you know, IMDb and I try to get a sense for things. And it struck me that um, your a music video in 2009 um, called Mono No Aware managed to get yeah. a Camera Image nomination. And uh, obviously yeah. a nomination at that prestigious festival is uh, quite a way to start a career. What, what was that like? <laughs> it was wild. Uh, I was still in college. Yeah. Um, I uh, hadn't quite graduated yet. Um, Where were you? I was at Emerson College in Boston. Sure, yeah. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, this guy David Altabelli, um, at the time, he asked me to come and shoot this little tiny video. We were both from New Hampshire originally, and we shot it in New Hampshire, just the two of us. Um, I would say we both shot it equally you know he, he has a great eye as well mm. and we just we had a red camera and a, like maybe two kino flows and <laughs> uh the wind and then the winter in new hampshire and and that really was it and and um you know it, going to camera homage uh you know at that point in my life i had only read american cinematographer you know i'd only really been in boston i had never experienced the industry um firsthand sure so it was really a, an incredible, you know, you know, experience seeing my heroes. Uh, just kind of couldn't couldn't really believe it, and, and in a way, it was it was almost too early for me. Uh, How in so? A sense to totally, well, you know, it was one of those things. You know, agents would come up to you and be like, "Oh wow, that's beautiful." Well, you know, what else have you done? And I'm like, nothing. You know, I didn't have anything else. I hadn't done anything. Mm. Um, you know, and so. It was more of a, it was nice, it was a great experience, I'm so glad it happened. Um, it was, uh, a, it was my first peek into the world of, the community of, of cinematography, which I thought was wonderful, and, and it really cemented for me that this is a community that I'd like to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, just seeing uh, heroes of mine Totally. You know, all know each other and, and be able to talk shop, but also just talk life and, and have fun and appreciate the art form uh, in its own right. Yeah. Do you, I guess it sounds like, do you feel like 
I, there's no other way to have been prepared in the sense of having more on your in your portfolio. That was a physical yeah. impossibility. No, but but like, was there anything to be more prepared about in terms of how to chat and that kind of thing? Um, that's a good question. I think that ultimately, um, I, I don't think I could have done any more. You know, in terms of preparation, I felt like uh, my age just belied my inexperience in the sense of I think most likely if I were to go back and watch conversations I might have had oh, I probably would say dude you know, to chill out you know, well that's everybody I mean girl it would be know? hard to have for anyone to talk to their former selves <laughs> yeah and and you know I'm sure I, I probably was a little bit too starry-eyed mm. um but I was I literally had only seen these people in magazines. I was 22. Yeah. This was a career that I wanted to do, but I wasn't, it wasn't a career that I had yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, but I, I honestly think it, a lot of it was valuable. I still keep in touch with people I met there. Other That's cool. Who, you know, are older than myself, but not that much older who, you know, have great careers themselves and just, you know, I, I think again, it was it was just a bit of a it was a, a wonderful introduction totally. to the industry, and I was so lucky to to be able to kind of have it in that kind of ridiculous way of being able to be flown to Poland and have this whirlwind, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean to move on, like a few short years later, you're DPing for Michelle Gondry for the We and the I. Um, yeah. How did that project come about? And because I believe that's your first feature, and for that to be with Michelle Gondry is pretty wild yeah it was actually it was my second feature. oh it was your second um, okay i did a i did a little tiny movie with my friends the mcmanus brothers who are great two of my best friends still mm. um they're actually now they've been they're great writers they've been nominated for an emmy for writing oh cool really talented guys um but we were all right out of film school mm -hmm. we um this was now fast forward uh gosh camera Maj was 2009 so then this was probably 2010 and summer of 2010 we made a movie for like $120,000, we all slept in their parents' house in Rhode Island, and it was called Funeral Kings, but it, uh, you know, got accepted South by Southwest Film Festival and Fantasia Film Festival, and it allowed everybody to kind of have this thing, you know, now I had two things on my, my, right. um, my reel. I had a little movie that had done well in the festivals, and I had this music video that had done well in festivals, um, and meanwhile, to, you know, just pay the rent and to just kind of keep gobbling up the the industry i was interning first for partisan when i was still at school which is michelle gondry's company and then i started when i when i graduated in the spring of 2009 i continued to do pa work and you know any literally anything they asked me to i was like do you want me to file papers sure i'll file file papers you know but for me it was like i'm in the business you know yeah great yeah and um it so happened that I had these things on my resume or my reel now. Michelle uh, would do all these little music videos for people he knew and his girlfriend and stuff like that. And, um, you know, to his credit, he kind of, he seems to do any idea that he has, he, he does it, you know? Yeah. Even if it's for no money, he figures out a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things he'd shoot on like a Bolex. 16 mil he didn't know how to expose film really so i would you know i'd get a phone call from his producer be like hey can you go over to michelle's house and just take a light meter reading you know and i would <laughs> i'd like drive across town in la and and do that and um 
I, I ended up shooting, helping him shoot a little music video on a Bolex for his girlfriend at the time. And um, that kind of kept, just furthered our relationship. And so then he had this little movie called The We in the Eye. Um, and it was all on a moving city bus with a bunch of kids, the teenagers from the Bronx. And they were all non-actors. He had taken their script, uh, sorry, their stories. And with the help of a younger guy who was only maybe a year or two older than myself, who was his liaison to these children, yeah. uh, created a script. And he wanted his friends to shoot it, but his friend, uh, you know, who was 26 or 7 or something at the time, he was a documentary guy. He didn't really have a cinematic background mm -hmm. uh, in terms of cinematography. And so uh, they came to me, and they are like, oh, we want a young guy who can relate to these kids. You know, he's going to be stuck on a sure. bus with them for sure. a month in, the, in August in the Bronx. Yeah. And... Um, you know, Alex has some solid work. He's, is it a risk to hire this guy? Yeah, probably. So I spent about six months shooting tests, like riding around on LA buses with my friends and shooting different tests and coloring it myself, paying for, paying to go to company three and coloring little clips and doing all this stuff. Was that to um, pitch yourself or just to prepare? to pitch myself really because yeah. i knew that they were like they're like oh we think you could be his producers were like you could be a good choice but you know the financiers all these people were like who is this kid yeah i was 25 so I you really had, took the I time and the money nothing. to 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 like yeah. put that together oh, for yeah. yourself that's cool yeah i figured this is a huge chance for me you know it's of a course huge shot. this is michelle gondry you know and yeah so you know i look back on it and man i there was so much I still had to learn. Um, I still have to learn. But um, yeah, but I but mean, then especially and and and. But anyway, I got the job. You and got it, it. It was, yeah. So uh, it was a really difficult experience. Um, well, it was going to be know, hard no matter uh, what. Shooting on a New York City bus as like an actual set. I mean, there are a lot of things up against you. Like your location is abnormal. You're working with non-actors. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. And then you know the real pressure cooker is Michelle Gondry is your director. Yeah. Yeah. And I had literally had posters of his movies hanging on my college dorm, you know, th three years ago. It's Michelle you know, Gondry. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy. Um, but it was like boot camp for me. You know, of course. I, I think that uh, up until that point, I really had, uh, you know, I studied film for years. I had shot as, you know, as much as I could for that being so young. And uh, but there was certainly a part of me that kind of followed the rules. If you, if you will. What do you mean by that? The, well, like the, you know, uh, matching close-ups and, you know, the, the, cinematic the rules. things that you learn about. Yeah, cinematic rules, right? Because I think at that point in my life, I hadn't discovered my own uh, perspective yet. You know, that totally. took years. And um, Michelle helped me by brute force uh, break out of that a little bit. And he just he doesn't care necessarily about wanting to match the eye lines and to, um, which are great tools and you need to know them, but, um, he, yeah, you got to really know them to break them. Pushed me. Yeah. And he, so it was a boot camp of like learning about what's important for story and what was important, um, to, to, you know, to create a certain atmosphere and it doesn't mean that you have to follow any kind of rules necessarily. And so that was a great lesson for me to learn. When yeah. You'd say that would be the biggest takeaway from that experience? Yeah, absolutely. And and also actually to persevere through a very difficult process. I, it was really hard. I mean, I was young and I, there was a lot I needed to learn and 
Michelle is uh, really a good guy, but he on set he's really tough. Um, he was tough on me. He was tough on the AD. Yeah. He was tough on the script supervisor. He's demanding. Yeah, he, he was tough. Yeah, and so uh, I was, you know, I, I mean, I would go to set pretty nervous every day. Mm. Um, but I also... I learned from that, and I learned that I, if I can handle those kind of... I look back on it now, I'm like, oh, man, there was a lot to be nervous about uh, at that <laughs> age and and that experience level and with those people involved and the location and all these things, and, and I did it, and I and I feel like, okay, if I did that, I can, I can figure anything out if I have to. Well, I was going to say that the next project that I wanted to talk about only a few years later is Fishing Without Nets, which is, you know, uh, one U.S. Dramatic Directing Award at Sundance, it was nominated in, at Camera Image in 2014. And like now, talk about a difficult place to shoot in. You're shooting in East Africa. And again, with non-actors. Um, I find it interesting about working with non-actors um, in a lot of in these projects. Do, what do you think? I mean, maybe a part of it is that you, know, you don't really get to choose what projects and opportunities come your way. But what do you think made you well-suited for that? Um, you know, it's, yeah, it... it I mean, one kind of leads into the other in a way, you yeah. know, um, part of the reason why I got fishing without nets, I think was because of my experience with working with non-actors. Um, I think that the key with working with non-actors, like, well, it, it's not much different than working with actors in the sense that you have to be very sensitive mm. and, and very aware of what their needs are to mm -hmm. be able to perform. Um, because they have honestly the hardest job on set, you know, I, can't imagine having a camera pointed at me and, and performing and, and getting into a character. And, and so for non-actors, sometimes it can help because they're so kind of naive about the process yeah. that they can just be themselves. And yeah. usually the reason why you're casting them is because you want them to be themselves. Totally. So the key for Fishing Without Nets, for instance, was to have these guys be um, unaware of the camera in a way. And as soon as they became aware, then it started to feel awkward, you know, but, uh, understanding how to get the best performance by just letting the camera be invisible in a way. And, mm. and so what we did with that film was very long takes. I operated the whole thing myself, uh, unless it was steady cam. Um, then I used this guy named Alex Kornreich, great guy. Um, but for, it was 90% handheld and, uh, I mean, we would do 20-minute long takes. Wow. It was killer. I wow. don't think I could physically do it even now. I'm not that much older, but it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and what it was was about learning their pacing. We, they were speaking in uh, uh, Somali. I didn't understand Somali. The director didn't even understand Somali. Um, every scene was like, give these guys the beginning, the middle, and the end of what we want them to say and what the, the, the shape and the idea of the scene is. Tell the translator translator would then tell them and then the we would do the scene and i would you know we i spent a lot of time with these guys off set yeah. to understand how they spoke and their mannerisms and kind of the rhythms of their language because i needed to know when to pan to i was gonna guy, say you know and it was never perfect but it worked quite well and it really was about um one thing gondry told me always was keep your other eye open mm. you know your eyepiece is your your you know say my right eyes on the eyepiece keep your left eye open 
so you are, you can see what's happening around you. Um, don't be blind about what's happening. And and that I carried on to that movie because totally, really, it was about understanding because I had no cues in terms of actual language. That's so hard. I had to. It, it was. I've but, done but I've was, done work with. Great. I've done work where I'm filming a language that I don't fully understand, and it's like, I mean, I guess in documentary, it's a bit more fly by the wheel because you don't. You're, you, I guess it sounds like in your scenarios you're setting up the ins and out points so you kind of understand what the scene is about. But like sometimes, and I don't know how freewheeling you were, but like sometimes I would imagine that potentially the most interesting person to have the camera on was the person not speaking. And a lot of that understanding comes from, you know, knowing what's being said. So how, how are you making, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, actually the main kind of villain in the film was not the guy we ended up, we cast for that role, but about a weekend we just kept seeing this guy and I just kept putting the camera on him because he was just fascinating. His face, his, oh, that's cool. his mannerism, that's cool. his, his energy. And so we recast it uh, midway through or, wow. you know, early on. But And we, it, you just, you had to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, and I think that was the main thing. It was getting to understand and getting to know your subjects, mm -hmm. because that allows you like it's like a documentary. Mm -hmm. um, once you understand them more, you can then understand how to express them through the camera. Yeah, um, and that was the process of that film, and it and it was painstaking. You know, I mean, we shot for seventy-seven days. Uh, wow, on a th on like a three million dollar budget. In East Africa, and no less. It's in East hard. Africa. It was I've done work crazy. there. It's hard. It's very hard. And we were on a ship for most of it, and these guys couldn't swim. And Oof. we had all, I mean, the stories I could go on. There's actually a six-part YouTube video. Oh, really? Online. Vice, who made the movie, put it out of the making of. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a pretty interesting watch because it's, the, it's a really difficult project. No, and I'll we check all that out. Like we, basically we're punched in the face because <laughs> it's so brutal like yeah 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 um I, I was curious especially hearing your experience at camera homage from so long ago like when you were still in school and then this goes to sundance um how do you feel because i'm always curious how people handle a big festival like that especially their first time um if they felt like they were happy with kind of how it went and maybe your camera homage experience from before was helpful in understanding what you how you wanted to be there? How do you think it went? Um, you know, I, I, it's funny because I, I had a great time, but I only was there for two days because I was actually down in Mexico, where I am now, mm. uh, shooting, a, shooting a commercial that was like a two-week-long shoot okay. at the time. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I, I flew back up for like two nights yeah. and had the whirlwind experience. It was great. I kind of wish I hadn't spent more time looking back on it you know i think about it now my like, god oh, it was just a commercial this was my first time at sundance i should have totally uh right you know enjoyed it more but um i uh well it hasn't I, it hasn't I, impeded I, your career yeah. so i mean no and well and, and i was fortunate because i was actually then asked later on by the sundance labs to come and and do their program and help develop some of the film's Oh, that's awesome. Uh, with the directors. Yeah, in 2015. And because I had become, you know, you once you get a film at Sundance, they kind of help you, include you in their family. And that was one of the best experiences of my life. You spent a month there, kind of hold up on the mountain. And so even though I didn't get to experience the festival that, that much, um, I still became part of the family. And, yeah. and I cherished that. Uh, yeah. Because, man, they're awesome. So. 
Um, what was the Sundance Labs experience like? Because I've, I've heard about it, but I haven't ever talked in, in depth about it with someone. It's amazing. It's like an adult summer camp for filmmaking. You're in the most mm. beautiful place in the world. Yeah. You're hanging out with like Robert Redford and all his friends. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're helping develop, you, you know, it's pure theory. So there's no, there's no pressure to make a crazy schedule. There's no, uh, you know, nobody has money. It's so idealistic. You just, you, 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 it's totally, you know, and you also know that you're like the locations you're working with aren't the real locations that this film would take place in. And so you just be, you're creative and you're kind of, it's it's not about the finished product there. It's yeah. about the process, mm. um, which is so interesting and yeah. it's so um, it's such a great m mental exercise. Yeah, um, and and it kind of reconnects you to why you love filmmaking, I think. especially because a lot of the projects that we all do, you know, are as much as it, it can be fun and rewarding. There's also this pressure that's put on with the schedule and the money and all this stuff. This when you strip that away, you get down to the, the real reason why you love doing it, which is storytelling. And the whole experience is just focused on that. Yeah, and I'm sure the people that you're surrounded by, all the other people at the lab, are probably incredibly talented and inspiring. And I can't, I'm sure that that network is super important and helpful. Yeah, it's, it's artists, right? It's yeah. real artists. It's, it's not about commercial filmmaking. It's not about, you know, the, the, the business. It's mm -hmm. about the art and, and getting to meet people who come from all walks of life. Uh, you know, there's, you know, I know we have a diversity problem in this industry as a whole. Mm. Sundance labs do a really good job of addressing that. Mm -hmm. You know, you re we really had people from everywhere. Yeah. And that's, it was, it was great. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Um, yeah. soon thereafter you do a TV series, the exorcist and you got a 2016, uh, ASC award nomination for the pilot episode. And I'm yeah. curious to speak with, because I've spoken with, and at this point I've spoken with a DP who's done a pilot episode, but for a while it was just people who, who had shot episodes later on. And the pilot, you know, obviously setting the look and, and working on that, um, especially with something that had um, a legacy material. What was that prep like, and how much was were you influenced by what had come before? Um, yeah, I mean, so I did background to it was that... Um, Rupert Wyatt, who did uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, he was um, the director. He he, he uh, was an executive producer of Fishing Without Nets. He liked my work on that. Mm. We connected uh, on a little commercial down in Chile, and then we actually met again, or I think we met for the first time at the labs because he was an advisor there, the Sundance Labs. So after all that, he invited me to come and shoot this pilot. I had no TV experience. Yeah. I'd only done indie movies, um, and so he sold me hard to Fox. How'd um, your, how are you feeling yeah. mentally about that, going into like a TV for the first time? Did it, was there anything about that medium that like made you think that, thinking differently in any way, or were you kind of just approaching it the same because it's an hour of, of, tel of, of it's a 60-page script, so who cares, it's the same? I, I looked at it the same way. Yeah. I definitely had an eye-opening experience, though, of, of the first meeting with the executives at Fox because they were very... You know, again, I was, this is, this is in, what, 14, 15, 16, something like that. Anyway, I was still, you know, I'm in my 20s, and I'm no TV experience. They're like, who is this kid? They make me go and meet with this guy who's the vice president of Fox Television at the time. You know, I go to his corner office, his old white guy. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, your resume is interesting, uh, but 
you know, this is a little different here. You know, what we do is different. This mm. is, you know, we, and he, he didn't even call them like films or shows. He called, he called them properties or something. And yeah. It was sure. very corporate. And it yeah. kind of was like, oh God, this is the, this is the thing that people tell you about. The um, machine. And it's true, you know, and he just said, you know, just, just get the close-ups. Just remember that's, you just need to get the close-ups because that's what people care about. And I was like, and of course, I'm like, yeah, of course, sure, yeah, you know. And uh, <laughs> I, I called Rupert right after, and we had a good laugh about it, because I knew he is a filmmaker, and he's a wonderful filmmaker, and he also has enough clout to, in his, you know, in his filmmaking career that he doesn't have to be, um, to, you know, bound by that kind of, to be honest, it's, it's a bit of a, that's the, that's the business bullshit of you know the network television world and yeah and why they're why critically speaking they're failing because they they um you know it's a corporate model yeah um and so i was protected by him i was protected by this guy rollin jones who was the showrunner who's an amazing become a really close friend of mine he's mm-hmm. uh he come from hbo world like boardwalk empire and weeds he uh he now is back at hbo um, but for a brief moment in time, he was at Fox. And so I had these two filmmakers who were protecting the look of the, the show. And mm. so, and maybe it was out of me being naive and I'd never done it before. I, you know, I went for it. I went dark. I, you know, I asked Tom Poole to color it for me. who's become a collaborator with me now several, for many years now. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was, you know, the nomination for my first episode of television, I think was in a way... A result of the fact that we I didn't treat it like a television show I didn't treat it like a network television show and this was just at the kind of beginning of where television has gone yeah in the you know this prestige television and people are treating it like movies mm-hmm. and and I just didn't know any better you know I came from indie movies and I wanted to just make the the best version of the story that I was being given um, when upstairs started seeing dailies were you did you get called into the principal's office at all no, actually, they loved it. That's the thing. Wow. They, they loved it. I think that the thing is, is what I learned uh, on that project was a lot of times executives don't know what they actually want. Yes. You have to tell them, you know? Yeah. You have to tell them what's good. Yeah. And they're not tastemakers. They're not. No. They, they don't know, especially the network let people, you know, they, they, when they're, when they're shown something that's interesting and, and cool or whatnot, they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. But they, they don't know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, no, it was a rewarding experience because, you know, it, it flipped, the script flipped a little bit and they offered me all these other shows. And I, I didn't want to really return to Fox, uh, the network model, because yeah. uh, it was hard. I mean, it was eight days. I did the whole season. I, I did 10 episodes, all 10 episodes with like six directors. It was crazy. Wow. Um, it's a gauntlet. It was a gauntlet. Um, and then I went right into two movies back to back. Actually, after that, so it was a little, <laughs> real gauntlet. Uh, um, and uh, but it was a, it was a great experience in the sense that I, I got my feet wet in the TV world. It opened a lot of doors for me. That ASC nomination opened a lot of doors for me in the high end. I gotta believe uh, so. TV world. I'm, yeah, and you, you could feel that. You could feel that 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 actually like had weight and that made a difference. Well, the nomination. Yeah, well, I think people. People actually all of a sudden heard, had heard my name, right. you know, and I think right. up until then, you know, I don't think anyone knew who I was. And not that that's important for, but I, well, it's important for, for, for hiring. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, even if they don't even know what you've done, if they've heard your name, 
They're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. They'll give you, they'll, they'll, they'll give you a second look. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fast. And I got to believe also Fox, when that nomination comes in, there must have been, it like vindicated their, um, use of you and also they're like giving you the free reign like everybody that vow like all of a sudden every, everyone's like oh yeah i know we chose that guy he's great yeah totally oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was definitely uh it was pretty funny um the whole the whole experience was really interesting so um but yeah i mean it it, it was tough man i mean we were we were shooting we were, re- were like locking the cuts and i was doing a color grade on wednesdays and it would air on fridays and the first time i'd see it graded was on air holy shit uh it was the, <laughs> that's I mean, crazy it was the stupidest model to be honest of, of how you should make a television there's show. no room for error uh, or delay none none there was no re- reshooting no no you know there was nothing it was just it was a gauntlet man it was crazy so, wow um yeah. well following that i mean it sounds you know you pivoted away from network stuff but then i mean yeah. to, i was when i was preparing for this i was like man 2019 was just a batshit crazy year for you at least in terms of what came out. I'm sure that some of that shooting and work yeah. happened before 2019, but City on a Hill, Legion, and Watchmen with 2019 releases. Um, what, what is it like when you're juggling three juggernauts like that? Yeah, it, well, it's a funny story because really what happened was right after The Exorcist, I went and did a movie called Captive State which with Rupert. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the movie. It's the biggest movie I've done so far uh by by budget or what's the metric by by budget and scale i mean it was like 30 million dollar movie it was uh sci-fi it's really dark gritty we went really dark it's Mm -hmm. a hard movie it's not it's it's definitely not perfect um in the sense of uh the script is it's a very challenging would you ever make a project that you would classify as perfect though no, yeah. no, no, no. But I think the studio wanted it to be this popcorn thing. It wasn't. I'm super happy with the movie because it's really, it's a, no one really knows it exists, but it's actually like a really smart, gritty sci-fi movie, mm. which... Um, Love that. Yeah, and then I went right away into this other movie called Code 8, which was uh, just came out now, uh, but it was a crowdfunded sci-fi, but totally different kind of look and style mm-hmm. that... Uh, uh, in Toronto with friends of mine up there. And so those those two things kind of were the end, took me through 2017. And then 2018 and 2000 started and I guess, God, I can't even remember. I guess it was, two, yeah, it was in 2018 I did City on a Hill, the pilot. Right. And that was kind of a dick to my set for myself, which is I only want to do pilots. I want to set the look. Yeah. I want to be a pilot and movie guy. You yeah. know, I think I'll, most people... That's the goal. Would prefer to set the look, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, but but it shifted for me because what happened was after City on a Hill, I went and started prep on Halo with Rupert. We were going to do Halo. Oh wow! For Showtime and Amblin Microsoft co-production. Yeah. Um, and it we went to Budapest, started prep, the whole thing. It was going to be this massive, you know, bonanza. Yeah. Um, but it the production itself was a disaster. I mean, it was the some really poor. Uh, I mean, airing dirty laundry here, but there were some bad producing moves. There was some just mismanagement. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a mess. Yeah. And um, so uh, it fell apart. Uh, Rupert walked away. Yeah. So I walked away. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden I had been planning to basically spend a year in Budapest 
um, with my wife and our dogs and, and whatnot. And um, it it just kind of left me with a gaping hole of like, oh, no, what do I do? Yeah, where are you I, mentally I with that? Are you like, is there a big was, concern? Or do you feel like, well, I got to be, pay- I'll, I'll pick up something. Like, how, how are you feeling in that moment? That's a big, this is a lot. I was, yeah, I was pretty stressed because I had been telling everyone I was going to be unavailable for a year. You know, I'd already, I, you know, other projects had been circling and there were other things that were happening. And I basically turned everything down and said, no, this is what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Um, I was relieved when it fell through, though, in the sense of it was a, an unpleasant experience. Right. And, uh, and it didn't feel like it was going to be a successful like we were going to be walking into uh, failure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, it was it was the right move to make, but it left me kind of high and dry a little bit. And so well, that's that's the scary um, thing now. I mean, just to like, uh, just the way that I'm relating to what you're talking about is I'm starting to get into longer project discussions, and I think coming from smaller stuff and commercial stuff, like the one of the big things that I'm tackling now is just thinking about I'm like, man, like these are real commitments because they're going to cut off other things. And like, that's, um, it's just a, a hard equation, you know, and there's no real right yeah, answer well, probably, but no, there's, I mean, I think you just have to do, uh, you have to commit to projects that you believe in with people you believe in. Mm. You know, I think halo was something that, you know, I, it wasn't necessarily, uh, the, I'm not a big video game guy or anything like that, but Rupert is a, is a, filmmaker i believe in and he's a he's a wonderful human being he's who i'm doing mosquito coast with now in mexico um and so you you i don't have any regrets about doing you know right right right. signing on to a project that i believed in because i believed in my collaboration i believed in whatever it may be if you believe in the script the the filmmaker there's got to be something really Um, important to believe in in it yeah, and and so if you lose out on other things for a project that you think is worthwhile, then that's fine, you know. Mm, yeah. Uh, this one just happened to not make it to the really to the starting line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even the finish line. It didn't really make it to the first, you know, day one of shooting. Um, yeah. But uh, what happened was it, it it opened up other possibilities, and I and I let myself be a little bit more open to the possibilities of uh, other opportunities. So. Um, what happened was Dana Gonzalez gave me a ring one day. I was moping around my house sometime in January after it fell apart, and he said, I'd like you to come in and do an episode or two of Legion. Uh, that's got to be an incredible phone call. Totally. I mean, you know, how, like that's, that's, that's elation when you hang up the phone, right? I mean, Yeah, I mean, Dana's, uh, so, he's been so wonderful to me for like, picking... You know, there's, there's been these people in my career who have really taken the risk and taken you know believed in me when i was kind of like oh you know i didn't i didn't necessarily see any there was no concrete reason you know rupert plucked me out of indie world and brought me into the studio world and dana you know had seen my work online and really didn't know me at all besides various chatting online and he said you know i'd like you to come and and do this so um so you know obviously i wasn't setting the look on the show but at the same time i'm like this is a show that is so creative, so wild. You know, I ended up, my episode was uh, totally different from the rest of the show anyway because it was this weird flashback. Oh, it gave know, you some visual freedom. With, with, what's that? that? So I would imagine that gave you some more visual freedom because of the differences? Oh, yeah. I mean, we shot it on anamorphics with rear nets, and it was very classic. I did, like, a very classical lighting style with, like, backlit, like, everything was, like, 
backlighting kind of story. It was supposed to look like a storybook, and so that's what we went for. And uh, yeah, it was super fun. And um, and then so that happened, and then the the I, that when that ended, uh, the producer from Captive State, uh, the movie I did with Rupert, the sci-fi one. Yeah. Um, he was producing Watchmen. And he said, hey, we need someone to come and just and shoot all of Jeremy Irons' kind of work. That he, there, There's a series of Jeremy Irons' work that was shot in Wales. Yeah, totally uh, separate. That I didn't do. But then there was this whole sequence of him like launching people to the moon on a hill with a big catapult. Yeah. We need, there's like six-week chunk. We need someone to come in and shoot all of that stuff that goes throughout all the episodes because Jeremy's schedule is so unique. Do you want to come and do that? And I said, again, you know, yeah, I'm not setting the look, but... Um, sure. It sounds like an amazing experience. Watchmen is a, you know, it's a big thing. And then, um, it kind of morphed into them asking me to shoot the finale. So I ended up shooting the whole finale. How does that work? Um, how do you go from being asked that to getting it, to getting the finale? Uh, to be honest, I, one of the DPs was, uh, let go. Okay. Um, and, uh, they liked what I had done and, um, they, yeah, they asked me back kind of a few months later. Yeah, and um, something was really clicking it. with the collaboration. Yeah, you know, and and I think I just was able to. Can you pinpoint what that I might think, have been? I think a lot of it is having you know putting your ego aside. Mm. You know, I think when you're not setting the look on a show, you have to just say, okay, um, what's the best? What 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 can I do? What can I provide with my skill set to yeah. help? Um this show be the best show it can be, whether it's the way I would do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, that's the big, you know, the big reason why I think they like me is that I have a positive attitude. I, I really try to be somebody who, I think it's really important, especially nowadays where there's a million DPs who are really talented. Mm. I think it's important to be good to work with, yeah. really collaborative and really open-minded mm. because I think that ultimately directors are looking for that you know, yeah. they're looking for someone who they can really trust and feel like they are safe with and same with the actors and all that stuff and uh you know that's what i came in with i just said hey guys you know i'm here to help how, just t- tell me how i can help and, and, and you know that's that's what happened i think a lot of whatever happened before with the other dp which i don't really know um i think had left somewhat of a sour taste and so I was there to just be the nice guy, <laughs> be supportive and yeah. and help out. So yeah. And what um, what was it like yeah. working? Uh, how much I, I know because like Damon Lindelof being the showrunner and the creator versus having the yeah. director. Um, I'm curious what what the the relationship is like because you have a director and then you also have Damon. Um, from your mm-hmm. from your role, what is it? What is that like to to kind of work with both, and maybe get notes from both? How how does that go? Yeah, I, I don't mind that. Um, you know, I've done enough television now to kind of understand the, the process a little bit. Mm-hmm. Damon is an extremely generous filmmaker and writer and super smart. What do you mean um, by he that? He also had... What do you mean by generous? Well, generous meaning like he, he understood that he wasn't always on the ground with us, mm. you know, and so he... Well, there's some writers that, that, you know, will say, no, this is... It has to be only this way because this is this is uh you know my word and i'm god on this right <laughs> where he is very particular about his, his la- the language and you know you, you know he clearly has a very damon lindelof style yes. you know you know it's him yeah um 
but he also is flexible and he understands the the um, realities of filmmaking and, and and how can we as filmmakers help him uh, achieve his vision. Um, and so he's open. He's very open. Um, and he had uh, his kind of lieutenant was first lieutenant was this woman named Nicole Castle who was the producing director of all the episodes. So she was the more boots on the ground, overarching creative vision. Yeah. Um, and who was just so wonderful and just so welcoming and, o- again, open to ideas. They had a very clear, um, you know, clear vision for what they wanted, but they were very open to, uh, you know, filmmakers coming in, the director and myself coming in and doing this enormous finale that was, you know, the planning and setup were huge. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it was incredible. Oh, yeah, no, I'm a huge Watchmen fan. I've been very much yeah. looking forward to talking to you um, to talk about Watchmen. So. Yeah, so, I mean, that that uh, finale was, you know, the, with the cage on the plaza there, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say 80% of that's on stage. Right. Um, huge, huge stage set, green screen, 300-something lights, just massive setup, and then it had to match seamlessly with the real location. Um, How do you prep for that? It was a lot. You prep a lot for it. Yeah, you... You... Um, I think, well, again, it was, it was about like the, it was about Nicole and Damon being really generous with their knowledge of what they had done and, and, uh, with the direction of the tone of the show they, they really had. And I had been there before, you know, so I, I already kind of knew, um, and then, but they also just encouraged us to like go for it, you know, like the vision was huge and, uh, expensive and they didn't balk at the the realities of how I'm making that happen. Yeah, do you so feel we like you were in... You know, weeks and weeks. Yeah, like on a technical front, were you... Was it pretty much just figuring out the best way technically and gear-wise to do something? And did you ever have to compromise because of budgets and stuff? Or was it really like what whatever you need to make this happen the right way is it? Yeah, you know, it really wasn't... There was no compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really were... Like the producers, Ron, Karen, and Joe, these, guys, these people were amazing at protecting us and, and saying you know what we're going for it yeah so what do you what do you need and um the the hardest part was so you know when you have no boundaries there yeah it's almost like you really have to deliver because there's no excuse not to yeah there's no, nothing to fall back on yeah and so i the hardest part i think was just again as it always should be which is the hardest part is how do i tell the story in the best way and then from a technical level obviously there was a compound thing of like where's the best place to cut between the real and the and the stage and and how do we match these locations in a way and it was very meticulous um in the stitching of you know why did you need this stage if was it well yeah why did you need the stage so the real decatur town square plaza area is actually built on a subway station and they wouldn't allow the production to do 90 percent of the stuff that you see with the you know, the explosions and the, the church and the you, you couldn't even put you couldn't put condors on it you couldn't put a, a techno crane on it you couldn't couldn't do anything to it. Wow, um, that's super so, restrictive. Super restrictive. So we, uh, but the you know the big street that leads up to it, all the cops come up and they walk down and the, between the theater and the the stage had to be in the real place. So um, 
So it was stitching those together, and so you know you'd look back at the street, and that was real, and then you'd do a reverse, and you'd look on the, the plaza, and 90% of the time that was staged. There were a few times it wasn't, and it was about how do I trick the viewer into wow. never noticing. <laughs> I, I wanted to add, like, what do you think your favorite episode? Well, not, or I guess it better better framed as scene. What do you think your favorite scene was to 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 do because of you know maybe. The, everything about the actual production of it, but also the prep of it, and then also maybe how it came out. Anything stand out as, like, what, what struck you as when you were having the most fun? I think the most fun... Yeah, you know, the, the most fun was with... Um, when it was uh, Gene Smart and Tim Blake Nelson and, and Jeremy Irons together as a trio in the kind of the squid fall room. And it was just... You know, I had some great behind-the-scenes photos of that because you're just sitting there with these three enormously talented kind of legendary actors yeah and just having fun they were having fun you know they're kind of their characters are a little silly and um they're as a as a as a movie fan you know as a film fan yeah to be able to sit in that room and be the first audience was just it was a pleasure, you know, and, and, and that always gets me every time. Whenever I get to be the first audience member for these incredible performances, mm. uh, it always is my favorite part. It's, it's much more interesting to me than the technical stuff, actually. I was going to say, it was, was it's really telling that, you know, your favorite scene is on a technical level, pretty straightforward. Like that wasn't totally. where you were pulling out all the toys. Like that was just, no, that was no. theater practically. Yeah, it was scene work. It was, uh, it was. You know, we had, I mean, all those sets were quite big setups in a sense, but it was all, yeah, yeah. we'd already be pre-built it, and it was, yeah, it was it was just um, allowing the actors to act. And, and I, you know, that's the, you know, I think the biggest challenge is trying to find, oh, writing that line of really making sure that the technology and the equipment and all that stuff doesn't get in the way of these actors. Mm. Because... You know, the more you can keep the floor clear, the more you can be open to what they want to do. Uh, I'll always, I'll, you know, it's sometimes painful, but I'll always take a backseat to the performance. You know, if, 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 if it really does make a better scene that they want to be stuck in a corner because emotionally they're stuck in a corner mm -hmm. and there's nowhere good to put a light. Mm -hmm. I will say, go, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, why not? You know, um, it's just one shot. If it's a, amongst many, many shots. If it's better for the story, if it's better for the emotion of the scene, then, you know, by all means, do that. And, you know, not saying that that was like that in that scene there. That, yeah, no, 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 this is it, good, though. it was really basic. No, you know, I, I, it's really great to hear that type of advice because I think we can get pretty myopic about wanting everything to be um, the best visually, naturally, of course. But some, uh, yeah. sometimes, but if, but if the performances aren't good, it doesn't matter how good it looks anyway. It just doesn't. You, you can shoot a, the most beautiful movie in the world, and this is career advice that I feel like I've learned over the years. Is mm -hmm. You can shoot the most beautiful thing in the world, but if it sucks, like visual, you know, storytelling, if it's a boring movie, if it's a boring piece, if you, if you want to shut it off after two minutes, it's not going to get you anywhere. It yeah. just won't. Like, it, 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 we've seen over and over again that people who make good movies or make good shows that might not even be the best-looking thing out there you know, those are the people who will get more work because I think it's, you know, yeah, of course, it's easier than ever to make a pretty picture. Yes. Um, 
and and it's like you know i know this is kind of beating a dead horse because everyone has said it but it's so true which is you know the image that's right for the story is the is the best image it's the, it's the most beautiful image it's, mm -hmm. it's the thing that you know to 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 create an image that's grounded in a story that fits with all the other pieces of the story that's part of a whole uh, that's the hardest thing to do and it's uh if you're going to be a narrative cinematographer then that's the thing you have to really think about yeah it's not just about making sure that you know everything is always perfectly modeled lighting and yeah and i mean honestly some of my favorite personal moments like it's the coolest thing and you're talking about being i've never heard it put that way but i really like it being the first audience um because there are just some moments where you're watching your monitor and you stop seeing the thing you make you're making like within the day and you're like seeing the movie so you know what I, like like something like changes like oh like i'm watching my movie right now live yeah um yeah that's like a high that can't be moment yeah set, you know yeah yeah um cool and so now you're now you're working on um on this on this piece in mexico and you're going all the way until may um what yep. excites you so much about the, the one you're working on right now uh, I think the biggest thing I love about it is that it's just, it's a drama. Like, it's not a genre piece. It's not, a, you know, it's, it's an adventure for sure. And there's some action and there's all this stuff. But it's really, a, it's, it's a drama. Mm. It's a family drama. It's a, it's a traveling show, which is really fun because it's hard production-wise, but it's the, the scope of our location. Nothing beats on location. Crazy. And it's all location. It's kind of going back to my, my indie roots in yeah. many ways. Um, and um, it's just telling a good story with good actors, and, and, and there's not uh, the, there's no trappings of genre around it, which I like genre. I've done a lot of genre now with you know, I've done horror and sci-fi and all that. But um, at the end of the day, for me, I love just I love watching drama. I love uh, shooting drama. So that's I think the most fun and, and also crafting a look over the course of a uh, season um i've gotten to be able to get uh this guy guillermo garzon as the second dp who's amazing um mexican dp uh so i've done the first few episodes he's going to take over for a few and then i come back for the fi final episodes but being able to kind of craft the 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 look and then the, the how it changes over the course of the show and and the it's a fun, you know, prospect. Yeah, when you're when you're bringing in that type of collaboration and you're on a project, either because someone else is doing other whole episodes or because you have like a second unit DP, how are you? What what have you learned is like the best way for ensuring that your visual language is going to hold when you're not there? Oh, I mean, I think it's all about who you hire. Mm. I mean, honestly, I think you having someone who you trust has a similar sensibility. You yeah. Know, and, um, someone like Guillermo, whose work is so beautiful and, and very grounded, is something I was, I was in, you know, I wanted to make sure whoever was going to help me with this journey was going to be someone whose work was grounded in reality and kn knew how to use and manipulate natural light uh, or, or fake natural light. And it doesn't ever feel too, you know, uh, disingenuous, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say stilted. Um, yeah, so um, I think it all comes down to the very first that, that who you get on the project. That makes I so think, much sense. I've been having this conversation about just it's yeah. casting. It it doesn't yeah, you know 
it's like because you can't micromanage yes you know like and, and you shouldn't you should let the person who's that you get the most talented people around yeah. you it's like abraham lincoln you know the what did he have the he, he would have his you know the um there's a great book about it. i can't think of the name of it but he you know he would basically hire the most talented and and, and best um qualified people to be in his cabinet and that's what makes you look good, right? Is when you get the best people around you, uh, gaffer, key grip, operators, ACs, another DP, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, filmmaking is a is community art making, and uh, you can't do it alone. And that's you have to let people express themselves. Um, so you have to hire the right people. Yeah, I I keep going back to I forget what interview it was, but someone was talking about a, a director was talking about a movie and they had Meryl Streep as their actress and they were there. Someone was asking them, you know, what what kind of directing do you do to, to Meryl Streep? He's like, the directing I did was hiring Meryl Streep. <laughs> He's like, I'm not that that that's as far as it went. You know, I gave her some notes in the beginning, but like she's here. That's why. And and it, I think that you can extrapolate that to any type of hiring, in in the creative arts. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because I mean, as I think if you if you try too hard to, you know, just tell them exactly how to do this and put the light there, then what are you what are you really doing? You're not hiring anyone for their own eye or for their own creative abilities. You're just trying to have someone who's going to be like a a, a a bastardized version of your own vision, but it's never going to look the same because they're trying to just. Do something, mimic something, and it's the same thing when you're coming in as a VP. When I'm, when I've done it now on Watchmen and Legion, you don't. I'm not trying to mimic exactly how they were lighting a scene or whatnot. It's I still bring my own eye to it. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, why you're there. Exactly, it's you're hired for your own creative sensibility, and so you want to make sure if you're doing, if you're on the other end of it, and you're hiring people, that you allow them to flex their own creative muscles. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, you have um, some months ahead of you still before this one wraps up, and then I'm yeah. sure I'll be watching it on Apple Plus. Um, but, you know, thanks so much for coming on in the hour. I know we've been trying to get this going for a little bit, so uh, excited to have you on. And, and it was really great hearing all about the, the journey you've been on. There's definitely a, a lot to take away from it. Well, thank you, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely.